right. Good morning. So as you all see in the bulletin, our topic this morning is mentoring. And for those of you who know me well, um, this probably sounds like it makes a lot of sense. I run a middle school mentoring organization. That's my day job. And so I think a lot about mentoring. Um, actually, though, I think maybe because I work somewhere where we talk about mentoring every single day, um, the concept is actually a really broad concept to me. When you think about mentoring, it could mean so many different things. It could almost mean anything. It could mean any relationship where someone helps someone else, which is really, really broad. So for instance, there's peer mentoring, there's professional mentoring, there's career mentoring, there's youth mentoring. There's a training this week in Philly on how to better provide culturally appropriate mentoring to young African-American boys. There's a White House initiative called My Brother's Keeper, which is more or less about mentoring. Mentoring has a month, which you might not have known about, but January is actually National Mentoring Month. And in particular, January 21st is Thank Your Mentor Day. Did you know, right? Who knew? Um, there's so much mentoring going on, and there's so much mentoring that comes up in my work um, that I think it can mean everything, and it can also sometimes feel like it just means nothing, like it's just it's sort of there, but you just kind of move on because it's just sort of everything at the same time. So I want to illustrate uh, what, what I think mentoring can look like for us with three stories before we dig in deeper and look at the scripture in our built-in this morning. First, um, I'm going to tell you a story from Star Wars. In good, um, in good tradition here at Mosaic, we like to ruin a movie more or less once a month. So if you, if you haven't seen The Empire Strikes Back since 1980 when it came out, I'm about to ruin the entire plot line. You should leave now and come back in two or three minutes. Spoiler it. So... 1980, Empire Strikes Back, you've got Luke, who is the hero of the movie. He uh, shows up, rescues his friends, and ends up in a one-on-one lightsaber duel with the villain in the movie, who is Darth Vader, who, for those of you who are not as familiar, is the guy who strangles people by, like, looking at them, right? That's Darth Vader. So they had this battle. Luke more or less loses, and on his way out, Darth Vader tells Luke, like, the quintessential Star Wars line, right? I am your father, right? So this, I can't do it. I was thinking about trying, but I can't do it. Um, so, so this throws Luke into a tailspin. And if, you, if you've seen the rest of kind of how the movie plays out, Luke just, how can you end up being the hero when it turns out that your father is the villain? It just kind of doesn't add up. So he's supposed to be the hero. He's on this track to be the leader of the whole rebellion. And he kind of loses his place as a leader and can't figure out what to do. So being Star Wars, he does exactly what you should do. And he makes the obvious choice and he takes his... Um, little X-Wing plane to Dagobah, of course, the little marshy planet, and he meets with Yoda, who's the short alien that speaks in backward sentences, do or do not, there is no try, right? So Luke trains with Yoda for a while, he gets himself straightened out, he comes back in the third movie, defeats Darth Vader, defeats the entire empire, saves the universe, everything is wonderful, right? That, I think, in a microcosm, is a lot of what we think about mentoring. You've got a really high-potential young leader, up-and-coming, gets stuck because something really challenging happens, and the mentor sort of swoops in, spends some time, straightens them out, and the universe is saved. And that, I think, is one of the patterns we think of when we think of mentoring. Second, and very differently, I want to tell you about a student and a mentor in the program that I work for. This student was a seventh grader at Lee, which is the elementary school on 47th and Locust, a couple of blocks from here. She was a really nice, she was a seventh grader, really nice student, not a troublemaker, um, but really struggled to stay focused in class, and as a result, her grades suffered, and she was actually at risk for graduating high school on time because her grades had suffered so much because um, in the setting of the schools that we work in, you, it's, it's not enough to just be a nice person and not a troublemaker. You really have to have some key skills to be successful. That's probably true everywhere. So we matched her up with a mentor at a local finance firm. 
they worked together for about 10 weeks, and they did a project on exploring how you would fund college. They also worked on specific skills every week, which we set them up with. That's kind of the structure of our program. And one of those skills was goal setting. After the couple of weeks working together, the student said, before Spark, that's the name of our program, I never had my own goals. After working with my mentor, I learned to set goals, and my grades have improved. And that's exactly the kind of thing that we want to see. They worked together for three months, one afternoon a week. The universe was not saved. The empire was not defeated, um, at least not yet. This particular student, however, is now ready and on track for high school and a great future and a career ahead of her. And that also, I think, is a great example of mentoring. Third, I want to tell you a story about an individual who I had the pleasure of mentoring. Um, I think I happen to think, after this experience, that he's one of the best people in the whole world, which I might be a little biased about that. Um, we will we'll call him Glaster, because that's his actual name. Who could make that up? Um, I've only seen him three or four times since 2008. He currently lives in Bangkok, where he works for an international public health NGO. But for four years, from 2004 to 2008, I had the pleasure of working, serving on the staff of a campus ministry at the school where he was a student. And so we spent a lot of time together doing a lot of leadership projects on campus, implementing a bunch of stuff. He was one of the kind of team leaders that I worked with a lot. We also spent a lot of time together individually, where I could work with him, um, help him figure out things that were going on, become a better leader. Over that time, we talked about everything that came up, from faith on campus, racism in America as compared to racism in Jamaica, he's Jamaican, the challenges of being an international student on campus, all kinds of different things that came up. Looking back on it now, I can tell how close and how significant our relationship was because as he finished and got to graduation, some really significant and challenging personal things happened. And they became potentially really a real division between him and his family, who he was really close with. And those were things that we were able to talk about and to um, at least be supportive about. Even It wasn't the kind of thing that you could just solve. Um, but it meant so much to be in the kind of relationship with someone where when something like that was going on in their life, they could bring it in conversation to your relationship and really be supportive and encouraging and try to walk through it together. Um, so in, in his life, I think that I'm an example of one mentor in a long line of folks who've been supportive and helpful to him. He's an amazing young, not as young anymore person um, who's doing great work and who a lot of people saw incredible potential in. And I had the pleasure of being a part of that for a few years and others, um, others have after that. And that also, I think, is an example of mentoring, right? So mentoring can be lifelong. It can be three months long. It can result in the empire being defeated and the universe being saved. It can be just one positive voice in a large crowd of a bunch of different people who are helping someone reach their own potential. Mentoring provides incredible opportunity and great support to underserved young folks through programs like the one I run. It also provides great opportunities and incredible support to amazing high potential young leaders who have all the supports and all the other things in life that you could want. And mentoring is all of those things all at once. There are two particular opportunities being a mentor provides, not just being a mentee, um, that I want to talk about and really focus on this morning. First, being a mentor gives us an amazing opportunity to have a really significant, meaningful, impactful relationship that helps deepen our connections to our community. For those of you who are here throughout September and October, our sermon series really focused on depth of community and of relationship as something that a lot of us are seeking in life. And I think mentoring is a great example of a way to dig into that and to connect to people really meaningfully and really deeply. Secondly, mentoring offers a great opportunity to leave a legacy through investing in someone else or many other people who will do far more than we might do ourselves and who will go places, who will go to Bangkok, who will save the universe, who will do all kinds of things that we are not, not going to have the opportunity to do ourselves. 
At the same time, mentoring can feel really vague or really challenging and hard to kind of figure out where the rubber meets the road and how you actually get started. Um, what I like to tell folks in our program is you can't just like go out onto the sidewalk and grab a middle school student and say, I am going to be your mentor because Child Protective Services will come after you with good reason. So please don't do that. Um, so instead, I want to look this morning at what can we do to see what really great mentoring looks like and how do we actually get started ourselves. So we're going to look at a particular um, example from Scripture. This is a letter from Paul. He wrote uh, much of what is the New Testament as letters to churches and individuals that he was connected to from his travel and his work. And this is a letter to someone who's widely considered to be his protege, um, a young man named Timothy. So in effect, we're like looking in on a pep talk from a mentor to his mentee. So this is 2 Timothy 1, 3 to 8. Um, it will be up here on the screen as well as in your bulletin. I thank God whom I serve, as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit, of God, for the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So again, this is a, kind of Paul's pep talk to Timothy, who he's invested a lot in and who he really wants to see Timothy reach his full potential. Um, I think what's fun about it is Paul writes in a really fluid way. And if you read it, it sounds really nice, but you can actually miss some of the funny, like, between the lines, under the surface things that Paul is getting at, which we'll dig into a little bit here. So first, I want to look at three things that we see in here that I think are critical examples or sort of the critical vision of what great mentoring looks like to give us a little bit of inspiration of where we want to end up as we think about mentoring someone else. First, their relationship is very personal. Their relationship means a lot to both of them. So Paul says this in a very nice way. He says, uh, recalling your tears, I long to see you, which is, I think, a nice way of saying, last time we were together, it was so meaningful that when I left, you cried, right? Um, a really nice way of saying it, but he's basically pointing out, our relationship means so much to you, and it means so much to Paul. Paul says it fill, just thinking about being together fills him with joy. To be successful, a mentoring relationship is more than teaching someone skills, right? That's a teacher. A mentoring relationship is, about, is, um, is, a, is actually about the depth of the relationship. You end up actually really liking each other. This can take time. We can't tell how long Paul and Timothy have, been, have known each other or have been working together um, in this particular story we're looking at, but it takes some time to develop. Interestingly, this is actually, so putting on my kind of work hat from the research in mentoring and what quality mentoring is, this is actually one of the keys of effective practice in quali quality mentoring. So um, researched nationally, some great papers that come out, here's what quality mentoring looks like. One of the three keys for quality mentoring is having a strong relationship. So we'll talk more about how to get to that point um, in a couple of minutes, but for now I just want to emphasize this as a vision. Mentoring is both about skills, but it's, all, it's about what the mentor, mentee is learning, it's about what you're teaching and doing together, but it's also about how deep the relationship is, how helpful the relationship, how encouraging the relationship is. I think a lot of us in this room, as I said, as we think about what we want out of life, we want to be connected to these kinds of deep, meaningful relationships. 
and mentoring is that kind of opportunity. We want to have those kinds of relationships where when we're with them, it's so wonderful that when we leave, we're, we're tearing up leaving because it's meant so much to be together. I think that's something we really seek and we really look for, and mentoring is that kind of relationship. Secondly, their relationship has a deep spiritual component. Paul says that he constantly prays for Timothy. He reminds Timothy of God's power. He has observed the role of faith, and he's been there in really significant faith moments in Timothy's life and in the life of Timothy's family. So as you can imagine, this is not the second research-based key for effective mentoring. Um, I don't actually want to suggest, I, I don't want to suggest that the only way to be an effective mentor is to be a deeply spiritual person. I think there's, there's lots of other mentors out there in the world who do great work, right? And I don't want to take away from that. But I do want to catch how critical it is and how empowering the spiritual part of the relationship is for Paul and for Timothy. So for Paul, mentoring Timothy isn't about getting Timothy to be a better person or a better leader. It's about Paul helping Timothy figure out where God is, what God is doing in Timothy's life, and how God is working to make Timothy a better person and a better leader. This is actually why I wanted to start with this story from Star Wars with Yoda, right? So I think if we think about it, and if we think about mentoring, and we think about Yoda, most of us, unless I miss someone here, most of us probably don't think we're cool enough, powerful enough, wise enough, Yoda was like 900 years old. We're probably not old enough to be as cool a mentor as Yoda is. And sometimes I think that's one of the things that can keep us from being a mentor is you look at it and you think, oh, I'm just not there yet. I'm not far enough along in my career. I'm not far enough along as a person. I'm not cool enough. I'm not famous, you know, whatever it is, right? But when you look at mentoring from Paul's perspective and from how he approaches it with Timothy, mentoring is about aligning with what God is doing. It's about what the spirit of God is doing as a mentor. So in um, Jesus calls to his disciples, he introduces the spirit of God as a teacher. And I think it's fair to kind of extend that metaphor to the spirit of God as a mentor. What God is already doing in mentoring Timothy, what God is already doing in empowering and encouraging and bringing Timothy along is something that Paul can be a part of. So in order to be a great mentor, we don't have to be as powerful or as wise or as cool as Yoda. We can actually be a part of what the power and wisdom of God's spirit is doing in someone else's life and just bring that, point out when we see it and bring it to life in them. And so that's why I think it's so important to have a spiritual dimension to successful mentoring. And if, if we want to have a legacy in mentoring where we can do, help someone see their potential and see their future and become, become a leader that we couldn't have seen ourselves or that they couldn't see themselves, really we can see, God already sees that for them and we can help them see that in themselves through what God is doing. That's a significant legacy. The third thing that I see in this relationship that I think is one of the kind of hallmarks that makes it such a great mentoring relationship is that it's both encouraging and challenging. So let's dig a little, read, um, read a bit between the lines. The major stuckness that Timothy is experiencing, right? So Paul is writing Timothy. This isn't just like kind of a nice, like, oh, I was thinking of you. Hey, how are you doing letter, right? Paul has something that he wants to get across here. It's not an ulterior motive. It's like a really clear motive. It's like what he tells Timothy, right? Um, what he's addressing is that Timothy is a little bit stuck. He's stuck in his timidity, his lack of courage. And because of this timidness, timidity, whatever it is, um, he's, Timothy is not living up to his potential as a leader. He could be doing more. He could be having a better impact. He could be making more of a difference, caring for people better, but he's not. And so Paul wants to encourage him. And so Paul wrote this whole letter to encourage Timothy to be more courageous, 
be more powerful, stand more strongly. It's a very challenging letter, but it's, it's written in such an encouraging context that we can lose how challenging it actually is. And then as we dig farther, we can realize what the cause of Timothy being so timid and being stuck as a leader is. And ironically, the cause is actually Paul, right? So Paul is in jail. Think about it this way. If, um, if you're, right, this happens in politics all the time. If you're the clear, publicly known protege of a fairly well-known leader, and that well-known leader ends up in jail, and especially if you're in politics or, you know, some other very public type of leadership, you can then watch your own stock as a leader drop pretty precipitously, right? Nobody wants to align themselves with the leader who's the protege of the guy who just got sent to jail. And I think Timothy is feeling those effects, right? So Paul, in his letter, you can tell he doesn't feel like he's done anything wrong or deserving of being in jail, and there's a lot that we can dig into there in terms of the context. But there's, obvi- there's someone out there who thinks that Paul should not be in jail, and that Paul being in jail is somehow a reflection of a mistake that Paul made or a failing of Paul's as a leader. And Timothy's feeling that and starting to feel like, well, maybe I'm not as great a leader or maybe I don't have the opportunities I thought I might have had because the person who's been helping me become a great leader or a great pastor is now in prison. And so Paul writes Timothy to address this. I think this is actually a a real testament to the strength of their relationship and of how, how deep their relationship is that Paul can address this directly. I think it would make a lot more, it would, be a lot, it would be easy to see if instead of 2 Timothy, this was like 2 Luke, and Paul wrote to Luke and said, hey Luke, could you go check on Timothy? I'm in jail, I know it's really hard on him, he's probably, like, people are probably making fun of him because I'm his kind of mentor and now I'm in jail, and, and I don't want to embarrass him anymore, can you just go check on him and see if he's okay? And that would have been 2 Luke, but instead we have 2 Timothy, where Paul can address it directly and encouragingly because they have such a deep relationship. So I don't want to suggest that it's a best practice in mentoring to be the problem that your mentee is facing, that you need to encourage them over. Um, Not the case, but I do think that this is a great testament to how significant their relationship is. That even in as awkward a situation as when you are the problem that your mentee is addressing, your relationship is so deep, what you've worked on together is so significant, you've spent so much time helping your mentees see the power of God in their lives, that you can do that even in the awkward situation where they need to see the power of God in their lives to get over the fact that you are in jail. It's a, a really strong point, um, and, and I think and a strong example of the depth of their relationship. And also, I think it's a great example of the legacy that Paul needs. Right? Paul, at this point, has done some great work. He's been all over the eastern near Europe, whatever you called that area around the Mediterranean at that time period. He's done some great things, and now he's in prison, and he can't do those things anymore. And so he's kind of, he's stuck as a leader. What he can do is write letters to people. And because he's had these kinds of mentoring relationships with folks like Timothy, he can continue to have an effect all over the places that he's been by writing letters to them and making a difference with them. So this is what I think three things here of what a great mentoring relationship looks like. These are three things that we should capture, that we should look at, that we should build for, that should capture our vision for why mentoring is powerful and important. It's a strong personal relationship, a deep spiritual component, being able to be both encouraging and challenging, all empowered by God's Spirit. So this then, I think, for us, begs the question of how do we get there? This looks wonderful. That would be really powerful to be a part of. We want to be a part of those kinds of relationships. We want to be connected to our community. We want to leave a legacy like this. How do we get there? So again, I think there are a few things that we can read between the lines and see that Paul references here that can help us think about what it would take to get to a place where we could be a mentor like this. First, understanding the mentee's past. 
Paul has a really insightful understanding, and he references a lot of specific things in Timothy's past and his present. He knows Timothy's family. He knows Timothy's faith history. He was there for some really significant moments in Timothy's life, like the laying on of hands. This understanding is what allows Paul to draw a narrative for Timothy. Instead of Paul having to start with, so right now I'm in jail, and I know that's hard on you, he can start with, Timothy, remember who you are. Remember what's happened to you. Remember who your family is. Remember how all of these things, how we've seen them build and the potential that it's pointed to. He can name past strengths. He can name past successes. Timothy knows that Paul is there for him because of the things they've done together and the way they've understood each other's past. So how do we get there in practical terms? I think this, this could be fairly simple. Um, and the, the first suggestion I would make is just ask questions. It it's, uh, can be pretty easy when you, if, you know, this is the kind of classic, hi, nice to meet you, where are you from? And then maybe what are some key turning points that shaped you and who you became and what you're interested in today? One of my favorite questions is to ask someone, how are you different from the rest of your family? I think it tells us a lot about our uniqueness and who we are and what, uh, what's God doing in our lives. Turn, people are fairly comfortable talking about themselves once you ask them some open-ended, non-judgmental questions, right? And I think that's a great way to get a relationship like this started, is to just ask, hey, what's... What are some things you're really proud of? What are some great things that have happened to you in life? What are some high moments? Where have you really seen the kinds of things that you hope for in life? And start to understand someone's past. And that leads us to the second thing, which I think is more than just understanding the past and what's shaped the person that we want to mentor. It's also having a vision for their future. So Paul has a really specific and clear and positive vision for Timothy. He, know, he has gifts that he's seen in Timothy. He knows where he thinks Timothy could be. And he can, he can not just see it, he can describe it to Timothy. And so again, this allows Paul to avoid making the whole thing about his own situation. I'm stuck in prison. I want you to overcome it. It's going to be okay. Instead, he can couch the whole thing in, Timothy, you could be great. I have seen the possibility in you. It's, it's all right there. Here's what you can do. You have to, if you, I think in order to mentor someone, in order to mentor someone well, we, we want to be able to cheer for them. We need to have that kind of positive view of where the person we're mentoring could end up. Not that we're necessarily going to be 100% right or that we're going to limit them into that positive view, but we have to have the sense of what's the potential and how can we see, it can be really hard to see our own potential, right? And so that's what we want our mentors to do for us and what we want to do as a mentor is to see someone's potential and remind them about it. So how do we find that vision for someone else? So again, I think asking some questions would be a great place to start. What are you good at? When have you felt the most stimulated? What are some successes you're really proud of? Those kinds of things. Also, though, I think if we spend time with someone, just watching them do the things they do or even doing them with it, with that person, we as an outside, as an outside mentor who's looking from the outside onto that person's life can start to see some visions of where that person could be that you can't see or that are much harder to see for yourself. So for instance, um, when I was a senior in college, I was a part of an on-campus Christian organization and we had a bunch of meetings. And what I'm rem- I remember specifically, there was a student who was, shoot, two, maybe two years behind me. It's, I don't remember. Um, but th- there was this moment in a particular meeting. Like, I still remember the meeting room we were in. And we were doing whatever normal things we were doing. And he, for whatever reason, was the person who was either giving the devotional or speaking or something. And he got up to speak. And as he was getting his notes together on the podium, I was like sitting somewhere in the back. And I knew him reasonably well. I just had this glimpse of like, this is what he is meant to do. Like, 
like he just seemed so comfortable in that moment. And it was the first time he'd ever done it, and I don't think he felt comfortable at all. Um, but looking at it from the outside, I could just catch a glimpse of like, this is something he's going to be great at. I don't know if it's necessarily speaking in a church context. Maybe he's going to be a teacher. Maybe he's going to be a professor. He's doing his PhD in Chicago right now. Who knows? But I could just catch this glimpse of like, this is something he could be really good at. He, there's just so much potential here. And I think the more time we spend with someone, someone we know well, someone we're invested in, someone we're hoping for and, and praying for, we can start to see those same glimpses of their potential and weave them together as a vision. And those things are really hard to do ourselves, right? It takes someone else often to point out things that we're good at that are natural to us that actually everyone else struggles with, but we don't, you, don't, you don't realize often the things that you're really good at that other people really struggle with because it's just natural for you. And I think to have a mentor give you the confidence of saying, actually, you're really good at that. That could be something you're really good at is really helpful. And so I want to encourage us to be those kinds of mentors. And that I think that's one of the key ways that we can grow and develop the depth of relationship we're looking for is to be on the lookout for those moments where you see your mentee do something amazing that everybody else really struggles to do or that everybody else just kind of does normally, but they do it with ease. So that's the second thing, I think, to look for in building the relationship. And the third thing is to encourage God's power to overcome. So again, if you remember, um, one of the things that we looked at that makes this relationship great is it's both encouraging and challenging, and it has a spiritual component. And so if we bring those together, and then we think, you, so you've, you've worked on getting a vision for, the, for your mentee's past, where they're coming from, what has shaped them into who they are today. You've worked on getting a vision for their future, where God could take them. So the missing piece is then encouraging God's power to help them get from the past that you've asked them about to the vision of the future that you've seen together. So again, Paul here exemplifies this. He has some great encourage, encouragement and a strong challenge to help Timothy make the kind of progress that, that Paul can see as possible. So Paul encourages Timothy to rely on God's power, that the Spirit of God gives him power, love, and self-discipline. Um, he encourages him to use that to overcome his timidness. So this is not um, Paul saying, just try harder, or Paul saying, be more like me. It's Paul saying, the Spirit of God is in you. It empowers you to do these things. You can step out and do these things. This is not like a cute, you know, nice, fluffy Hallmark card, right? This is a very encouraging letter. It's written really positively, but it's really, there's real challenge here in this letter. And I think Paul is able to do that because he's not just putting it on Timothy. He's not saying, you just need to try harder. You have failed. Like, give it, give it your all. Next time, do it again. You know, something like that. He can, put, he can put it out there because he can say, God is empowering you to do this. And that's why it's both encouraging and challenging at the same time. So how do we do that in practical terms for folks that we want to invest in? I think we do some of the same things that Paul did. Pray, right? Paul introduces it by saying, I, rem I constantly remember you in my prayers. If we're going to mentor someone, we want to have a deep relationship. We want to see them get to their potential. I think we should be doing the same thing. We should be constantly praying for them. Remember for them, as we see Paul do. Remember where they have seen God's work in the past and remind them of it when they need it. When we face struggles that feel overwhelming to us, you forget the times that have worked out all right in the past, and the present just seems so overwhelming. And that's a great role to play as a mentor, to say, remember that past time. When, when it worked out, God was there, it came through, everything worked out all right, and, and maybe actually something great came out of it. And I think that's a, that's a role of a mentor. And then finally, repeating back to that person the promises that God makes to all of us 
or even to us, to maybe to that person specifically that you've been a part of. God promises to give you power, love, and self-discipline, or whatever it is that in that particular scenario. So a great mentoring relationship, what we're aiming for, vision-wise, what should capture our attention. It's personal, it's spiritual, it's encouraging and challenging. We see this in Paul and Timothy. I think we can get there by understanding someone's past, catching a vision for their future, and encouraging God's power to help carry them from where they are to where they could be. So I want to su- finish um, by suggesting three possible places to get started, right? So there's a little bit of a vision from Paul and Timothy of what a great mentoring relationship could look like. There's some structures and how-to of I think we can dig into a relationship to get it to be a great mentoring relationship. But this leads us with the place of where do we actually get started? How do we find a mentee? And so I want to suggest three kind of totally different and unrelated potential places to get started. The first one, which is probably the most traditional, is to invest in someone who's a life stage earlier than you, right? So if, so you see this in Paul and Timothy, right? Paul, as an experienced church leader, is investing in Timothy, who's younger. If you're a college student, mentor a high school student. My brother, when he was like three weeks into being an undergrad and knew no one, had just started going to the church in Maine that he had found near campus, and he said, hey, how can I get involved in your high school ministry? I don't know anything about, you know, supporting a church, running a college ministry. I'm a freshman. I've been here for three weeks. I do know something about being in high school. How can I get involved in your high school ministry and get involved in your high school students? I think that's a great example, right? So if you're a graduate student, look to mentor an undergrad. If you're an undergrad, mentor a high school student. If you're a high school student, so, so forth and so on, right? I think um, in, the, in, the mentoring, in the professional mentoring world, this is called near-peer mentoring. And I think the value of it is that it's like you're almost, you're, the, the mentee can see that you're, you're almost someone who could have been cool. Like three years ago when you were my age, you might have been cool. You, you, like, I could understand, you're, you're not me, but I could understand you. And there's a, a, actually a really deep value to that, and the research shows it. So the, the great thing about this is everyone in this room can do this. And so I want to give us a couple examples. Um, for instance, you might have noticed that at the end of the service when the boring people are done talking, all of our middle school students will come and they will sit in the front, right, for worship, and they were here before the service started. I'm willing to bet that if you got to know some of these great folks and some of their parents, and you told their parents that you would be interested in spending some time with their son or daughter, getting to know them, supporting them, encouraging them, especially, like, so if you're in middle school, you don't want to be friends with your parents' friends. They're not cool. Your parents aren't cool. Their friends must not be cool either because they're friends with your parents, right? So you want to be, friend- be mentored by someone who's a little bit closer to your age, maybe. So if, if you're here and you're in the, like, 18 to mid-20s group, get to know some of our middle school students, get to know their parents. It's, like, literally right here in front of you, a great way to get started. There are other great ways to get started. You, uh, reach out to me. I'd be happy to see if you could mentor through our program. Um, I don't know if Dorothy's here this morning. She's someone in our church who works for Big Brothers Big Sisters, really well-known mentoring organization. They're great opportunities to get started as a mentor that are literally like right here in front of you. You could reach out to Brad or some of the folks involved who know a lot of the college students who come and see if any of the college students, if you're a graduate student or you're you know, looking for a mentor, you could potentially, if you, if you have children maybe who are like over five years old and you know something about having small children, you could like reach out to me and say, hey, you're going to be okay. Everything will be fine, right? So there's, there's lots of great opportunities for being, me- for being a mentor, and they're literally, literally right in front of us in, in this community and like on the sidewalk and in the community around us. So that's my first suggestion. Think about someone who's a life stage, just a life stage earlier than you. Your, your wisdom and your knowledge will be really relevant. It's an easy way to get started. Second, and a little bit differently, I'm going to suggest you could invest in someone who's a peer, 
So in the, again, in the professional context, this is called peer mentoring. Shocking, right? Um, I want to mention this because as I sat down to think about who are my mentors right now, who are they currently, I thought of a lot of people who I also think of as my peers, who some, some of whom are actually like really good friends. And so I think, as, as I think about people in my life who have mentor, mentored me in some sense, even over the last like 10 years, a lot of them have become really close and really good friends, or they were friends and now they're mentors and we kind of mentor each other. And that's what I want to suggest about here. The, the bonus to thinking about mentoring as peer mentoring is not only are you like really good friends with someone and their mentor, often they kind of mentor you in, in turn, right? So there are a couple things you're lacking. You don't necessarily have the life experience or the perspective to be a life stage ahead of them and provide the kind of perspective to a particular situation that you might be looking for. So it might not be the only kind of mentoring you want to have experienced in your life. On the other hand, most of us would probably say, well, so, so we might not say ourselves, but you should say, we're all really, we're, they're all things that we're good at that we're actually really good at and could be really helpful to our peers in. And there are definitely things that we are really confused by that other people are really good at that are really hard for us. So if you can find the right match, it can be really helpful to have a peer who, who brings their insight of what in life they're really good at, and they kind of mentor you and help you figure out that part of your life. And in turn, you're kind of mentoring them and helping them figure out some other part of their life. Right? And that I would describe as peer mentoring. Um, and, and through all of that, of course, especially keeping the spiritual component in mind, as you're asking questions and seeking what God is doing in each other's lives, there's a great opportunity to rely on God's wisdom and God's perspective and what God is doing that can help us when we feel like we don't have the, you know, the, the 20 extra years of life experience to bear on that particular situation. So I think peer mentoring can be a great place to get started. Um, really, I think it's actually just a matter of probably asking a couple more deeper questions when you're hanging out with people whose perspective you really appreciate anyway. Just taking that next step to add the kind of level of, I'm just going to push a little bit deeper and see how it goes. And that can be awkward at the moment, um, but it can be a great place to start and I think can really mean a lot to us. So those are my first two suggestions. The third, which is also completely different and entirely not mutually exclusive from the first two, is to invest in someone really different than yourself. The reason I wanted to bring this up is because when we think about mentoring traditionally, I think we often think about mentoring someone who's a little bit younger, who you really see yourself in, who's just like you, who you feel like you could be really helpful to, and who, who maybe has some potential beyond. And so you kind of see it as like bringing up the next generation of someone who can go beyond where you were able to go. But I think that can narrow our vision to people who are just like us, and I actually think there's huge benefits both to the person we're mentoring, but also to ourselves as mentors, to mentor someone who is completely different from us. Especially when we are mentoring with a spiritual lens, we're seeking God's wisdom and God's empowerment. I think that allows us to be a really helpful mentor to someone who's different than us in places where we might be concerned that we wouldn't have the right perspective because they're dealing with different things. I think we can rely on God to give us guidance in those situations. Um, so specifically, there have been times when I've like, I think Glaster, again, is a good example. As an international student on campus, I wasn't an international student. I was not a student of color. I'm not from Jamaica, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there, but there are things that he would bring up, and he would ask my advice. And because, I, because God was gracious, and I was realizing that there were some significant differences in our life experience, there are things I might have said if it had been someone like me. Oh, you should always, you know, when you're in a you know, divisive conversation about diversity, you should always speak your mind. Speak really strongly. Be confident. Speak for yourself, right? Stand up for yourself. But I could say that, and I could look at Glacier, and I could realize sometimes in his life, that would come at a really deep cost. 
that it wouldn't have if it was my life and I was the person standing up. And so I learned a lot from, I was able to learn more from mentoring him because of the differences in his life experience and because of learning from him and from what that was like. And so I would challenge us to think about that because I think there's great opportunities for us to continue to learn and grow as mentors there as well. So there are three potential places to get started. Someone who's a life stage earlier, someone who's a peer, and potentially overlapping with those, someone who's in a really different place or from a really different trajectory than our own. So here's one final example. Um, this actually kind of came to me as I was preparing this talk. My dad sent me an email with a link to the community newspaper where my parents live and a note to read page two. That was literally all his email said. Read page two. Okay. I will. So what followed on page two was an article describing a mentor who had a huge impact on my dad's life. And I want to use this as an example to kind of weave through our themes this morning of someone of uh, why a deep relationship is so meaningful and so powerful and what it looks like and what kind of legacy we leave as a mentor. So how many of you know who Bobby Jones is? Like four or five people. I'm actually impressed. Okay. So so Bobby Jones is apparently, this is according to my dad, but I think it's true. You can vouch it, right? I, Bobby Jones is apparently the greatest golfer of all time. He is also apparently the only person to ever win the Grand Slam in golf. I don't know what that is, but it sounds impressive. <laughs> all right. When he was, in 1968, when my dad was an undergraduate, um, Bobby Jones was reaching the end of his life. He uh, had a late stage, um, I actually don't know what the disease was, but he had a late stage disease, and it was kind of clear that he was reaching the end of his life. He needed a lot of help. And so he hired a few college students, including my dad, to help him around the house, to come over every evening, take care of him, help him do things, you know, finish up, clean up, and, and really just to spend time with him so that he could have, so he was very sharp mentally, but he was really challenged physically. And just to spend time with him, help keep his focus on positive things, on things that were going on in the world. And so the article my dad wrote a couple, a couple weeks ago in their newspaper was the first time that my dad has written publicly about how significant this mentoring relationship was, partially out of uh, wanting to... Bobby Jones was a very, very famous person, but also a very personal person. And so it, so it felt like, you know, you don't kind of want to... You don't want to share something that wasn't appropriate. But I think as my dad has uh, gotten older himself, he's seen what's, what's appropriate and what's, what would be really meaningful to share. So I want to read you a few quotes. This is my dad speaking. In the process, Bobby Jones became one of my greatest mentors. When I nervously told him I was scheduled to give a speech to a large crowd, he coached me not to read my speech, but to simply jot a few key words for each thought on an index card, thereby making my remarks more relaxed and natural. And my dad says, if you've ever seen one of Bobby Jones's speeches on tape or read any of his books, you'll recognize how he practiced what he preached. Very tactile, very specific example of something that my dad learned from Bobby Jones. It's also one that has shaped my dad's opportunities over the course of his career. So my dad was a lawyer, is a, or was a lawyer, he's retired now. Um, but e even though he's retired, he still gets invited to conferences nationally to give speeches about what's going on in healthcare law because he gives great speeches and people love it and they're like really boring like legal things <laughs> like Obamacare happened in the, like it's you know like the 60 point 60 PowerPoint slide deck. And my dad is invited to do it because he's become a great speaker because of the influence of a mentor like Bobby Jones. And for those of you who um, were at our wedding, you may have seen him do a toast or at our rehearsal dinner, and hopefully I would, I would hope that you would both vouch for him. And um, anyway, it's it, it something that has marked my life and marked my brother's life and that I've seen in my brother as well. So it's, it's been passed down um, through, and like, I had no idea, actually, that this was something that my dad learned from Bobby Jones until I read this article two weeks ago. 
There were a couple other examples he gave. Um, my dad mentioned a few really important moments when they announced the draft for the Vietnam War and were on TV reading off the birth dates and what order people were going to be drafted in was a night that my dad was at Bobby Jones's house taking care of him. And so they literally were sitting and watching the draft together. And it's a moment when, as someone, my, my dad was of age to be drafted, it's a really nerve-wracking moment. And so my dad tells a story in the article, they get, they get halfway through, and Bobby Jones makes a joke about how he was going to be drafted. Obviously, he's not going to be drafted because he like, can't get out of his house, and his, but, but he was a World War II vet. And my dad talked about how much it meant to have that kind of perspective when he was facing that situation. A really meaningful moment that shows the closeness of their relationship. And he, my dad closed it, uh, summarized the closeness of their relationship by saying this. As time wore on, Bobby Jones's condition worsened, and we weren't really needed anymore. However, we were always welcome to stop by for a visit. Incredibly, Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicholas, also famous golfers, were turned away several times, but we were always welcome. And I think that's a testament to not just the legacy, but the level of relationship that you build with someone when you're a mentor and a mentee. Almost none of us have ever heard of Bobby Jones, famous golfer, one of the more famous American sports figures around for decades, just a short time ago. Right? His legacy lives on in some ways not because he was, or in addition to the fact that he was a famous golfer, or maybe not because among folks like us who don't know much about famous golfers, right? but his legacy lives on in what, he, what his guidance and what his support meant to my dad and how my dad passed that on to me and my brother and to others. And I think that is the power and the vision of mentoring. You can be a great mentor and work with someone for a year, or for 10 years, or for a lifetime. You can have a lot in common with that person. You can have less obvious things in common. You could be one voice among many people who mentor that young person. Or you might be a critical, lifelong, key voice over the full stretch of what that person accomplishes. You can help someone in a, see their potential in a critical moment, a critical phase in their life, Or you can help them see their potential in a way that allows them to change the universe or fight against evil in an an international way, right? All of these are mentoring, and I think all of these are worth investing in. The question is just where to get started, right? So as we transition into the rest of the service, as the the band comes up and we go into our time of worship, I want to encourage you just to pause and to listen and to listen to God's voice. Where is God nudging you to get started? Who is God nudging you to just invest a little bit more in? And where is God taking this? I think it's a great opportunity for all of us. Thanks very much.